Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. I had to go about it, write it out, and find it myself. And there's some stories I can tell you. This is the final word, story time. Coming to you from a hotel room in Lahore on my last night in Pakistan. My name is Jeff Lemon. Adam Collins just left for the airport in a, uh, a cab to go and catch a 3 a.m. flight. So. We have with us today to do a little bit of story time action, Bharat Sundarajan. Hello, hello, Jeffrey. Uh, yeah, it's one a.m. We've just played uh, some of the most closely contested pool games in the history of pool, and yeah, I back myself to be a storyteller, so I'm looking forward to this. <laughs> well, look, Dimuth Karunaratna had a pool party in 2019 at the World Cup, and we had a pool party. After the end of the third test, uh, Australia versus Pakistan, I think let's start there. Your your impressions of the day, day five, a, a series that was basically a 15-day test match that ended up wrapping up on the very last day of the series. Yeah, it felt more like a 50-day test match, to be honest, if, if you were a bowler. And I, I think it's just Pat Cummins, the captain, Pat Cummins, the man, Pat Cummins, the blue-eyed boy of world cricket, uh, just you know, coming together to produce one of the, I think, the greatest series triumphs in Australian cricket history. Going into the final day, not many gave them a real chance, if you think about it. Pakistan's openers had done really well. There were question marks about the declaration. A lot of people thought Pakistan might, you know, run it down and chase down the target of 351. But, you know, he just made the right moves, put his hand up when it mattered, and that 
final uh, image of uh, the two stumps uprooted and splayed on the on on the ground at uh, the stadium in Lahore on arguably the slowest pitch Pat Cummins has ever bowled on <laughs> really really for me summed up the series and summed up Pat Cummins the man yeah yeah okay i think that's fair enough and and i think what we're going to do on story time today is it's a bit less polished it's a bit less organized normally when adam and i do story time we've spent a lot of time on the research we've looked things up we've written things down we've dug around at this point we're thinking look let's just let's just have some fun before i have to get on a flight in about five hours Um, i haven't packed yet we've got a few things ahead of us but we decided let's just knock off story time because why not let's just look at a couple of numbers not the big not the full show but let's get some sort of show out there and and i wanted to include barat in this in this carnival of cricket history that is story time it starts with a game that we call nerd pledge i'm not going to yell it because there are a lot of police in this hotel and i don't want to attract any attention to us but here is how it goes. Nerd Pledge is a game that we play with all of the people on the patron page. They send us in contributions of some sort of currency, but it's not a normal denomination. It's a number that relates to cricket in some way, and we have to work out what it is. Right? You with me? Yeah. Uh, I am a patron uh, of the final word, so I know all about story time, even if I have never heard one of those episodes yeah (laughs) (laughs) oh what a backhander all right all right here's how it goes Bharat. the first number comes in from indy and i will note that this is spelt in the same way as david warner's daughter indy who i don't think is subscribing to story time or if she is she's very precocious she's probably six four i don't know it's David Warner's child, uh, so I'm not ruling anything out. Uh, and if, if she has, uh, does it say where she's from? If it says that she's from Hyderabad, then I think has to be David Warner's daughter. Well, it says a local of Sydney. So here, here is the clue from Indy. As a local of Sydney, a cricketing tragic and a romantic, I was hoping for an emulation by the English team in the recent Hobart test of a valiant charge led by two champions of numerous yesteryear Ashes campaigns, which was demonstrated in the first cricket test I witnessed. Leading from the front, falling short, not meekly yielding to a loss. I was already hooked on watching cricket, but this particular exhibition actually confirmed my decision to begin playing cricket later that year, with the additional note that I'm not much older than either of you, you meaning me and Adam, so I suppose we're talking like a an early 80s kind of child here. The figure is 184. Now, I've done some research on this and you haven't. Does anything anything tickle your brain there? Uh, if it was 183, I would say it's, of course, the, it's a big number in the history of Indian cricket. That's what... Uh, India defended to win their first ever World Cup in 1983, but since this is 19, uh, this is 184. Nah, nothing really rankles uh, my brain. Okay, all right. Here's my suggestion. Here's my suggestion. On the final word on story time, we we talk about Bannerman a lot. We talk about players who made a large percentage of the team's runs in an innings. Here's here's an. It's not a Bannerman, but. 
it's in the conversation. 184 is what Dean Jones made at the SCG in 1987. Now this, Barat, is in an innings where the next best score was Alan Border with 34. Jeff Marsh made 24. Merv Hughes made 16. And Australia made 343. So that means 53.64% of the runs in the first innings were made by Dino, who was at first drop, came in with eight runs on the board and was not out at the end of the innings. So as good as carrying the bat, basically. We're, you know, we're keen on bat carrying on this particular show. So he's not out at the end. Merv Hughes faces 108 balls to make 16, just to, just to hang in there with Dean Jones. Now, England, all out 275. Australia, all out 251. Spinning track at Sydney. Peter Taylor gets six wickets. John Embury gets seven wickets. And then England, chasing in the fourth innings, have a crack. So this might be what Indy's talking about. They don't meekly yield. They're five for 102. And then Mike Gatting goes on to make 96. Gives it a go. Hits a six. Hits a bunch of fours before getting out about 90 runs short of the target. The rest of the batting falls away. But they had a shot and they didn't quite get there. Oh. 184 is Dean Jones, and then the rest of it is is England having a go and not quite making it. I don't know. It's tenuous, but maybe it's the answer. Yeah, I mean, um, it kind of uh, kind of links to what I was talking about, the famous 1983 World Cup final, because West Indies did give it a shot. And uh, famously, when Viv Richards was caught by Kapil Dev, uh, and Richie Benno's famous words, which went some, some, something like, Good shot. Not so good. Kabaldev has taken a marvellous catch and he ran back and took one of the greatest catches and he said Viv Richards looked like he was in a hurry. In a hurry, it felt like he had a dinner date that he like you know wanted to get to. That's why he was batting in a hurry and he got out early and it felt like all the West Indians that day at Lords were in a hurry to get to uh, 184 the number that has been uh, you know recommended and they fell short and it eventually resulted in that famous moment and now I'm going to shift from Richie Beno to my best impression of Jim Laker uh, because the final wicket <laughs> in that World Cup final was uh, Michael Holding uh, uh, who was LBW Mohinder Ramanath and uh, Jim Laker goes something like Oh, it's all over this time. Oh, Michael Olden losing his school in the end. Oh, India run of the ground as Provincial Cup champions. And uh, yeah, and like, you know, it changed everything. It changed cricket forever. So I think 184 is significant because that's what West Indies were chasing and they fell short by 43 runs, I would like to say. And yeah, cricket's never been the same again. It grew and, you know, India became this superpower. The IPL was born. It all went back to 184. Because if West Indies had chased on 184, who knows, I might have not have had a job and I wouldn't be sitting here. <laughs> um, okay, all right. Have you seen the 1983 movie yet? Uh, thankfully not, but uh, I am planning to uh, once I get back. It's uh, playing in all every theatre available in Australia, not really. Uh, but the the heights next to uh, my place in Norwood was showing it, at least before I left for Pakistan. So I'm looking forward to going and seeing it. I was in Tunbridge Wells during the 2019 World Cup 
when they were shooting that scene uh, the kapil dev 1970 oh sorry kapil dev 175 against zimbabwe knock uh, part of that world cup journey and uh, I, i didn't get to see any of the actors so i don't know many of the actors, but interesting um, and i thought it was quite quirky that shivnarayan chandarpal's son tej narayan chandarpal actually plays larry gomes in the movie and i thought really yeah, he does yeah and tej narayan chandarpal is a first class cricketer yeah yeah he's he's already in cricket history as he's the most recent example of a son to bat with his father in a first class match Yeah and uh, there was also time I did interview him when he played f- uh, for West Indies under 19 uh, I don't know 6 7 years ago and for a brief period we used to be in touch like I used to keep messaging him asking him to like you know not worry about being in his father's shadow maybe I like pressed on it too hard he stopped replying to my messages <laughs> 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 but yeah I thought that was amazing it it's almost uh, like Jason Holder appearing the fir- uh, appearing in the first scene of Fire in Babylon like uh, you know that turned him into West Indies captain maybe this uh, playing Larry Gomes will lead to Tej Narayan Chandarpal someday leading West Indies wait is Jason Holder in the first scene of Fire in Babylon oh yeah it was uh, i actually interviewed him about it like yeah, he's uh the second like if you watch fire in babylon they just show uh three or four random young you know caribbean kids uh running in and bowling fast and jason holder i think is the first or the second of uh, those yeah and is ib devilius waiting there to smash him for like 36 <laughs> of an over <laughs> uh no this is i think is the latter year uh, jason holder who you know doesn't give anything away and has that mean look on his face <laughs> Wow, okay, magnificent. So look, all right, 184 India could be it could be what West Indies should have chased and didn't in changing the course of cricket. It could be Dean Jones uh, at the SCG in 1987. It could be a range of things. You can let us know, send us a message on the old Patreon or um, you know, in uh, on the the Discord page where there's a nerd pledge channel where you can talk about all of the numbers that have come up. Uh Tim Manning is the next number off the rank well he's a name tim manning's a name and tim manning has sent a number the number is $3.05 305 with a clue that says i almost left early on this particular day i'm very glad i didn't now parat when i first saw this i thought 305 that sounds familiar almost left early a game that someone should have lost and then won australia in england pandemic era end of 2020 they were five for bugger all when glen maxwell and alex carey got together and both scored hundreds in a magnificent run chase and made 305 to win but then i thought left early wish i hadn't left early there was no crowd at that game nobody was allowed into the stadium for those matches they were played in front of an empty house so it can't be that 305 but there's never been another 305 chased in one day international cricket What if he was a covid marshal and he was at the ground but he left a little early and he missed missed out on one of the greatest partnerships between Glenn Maxwell and a mighty South Aussie can this Alex Carey of course uh, I think uh, <laughs> <laughs> 
Sorry, I just had to slip that in. But yeah. like, yeah, because we did discuss yeah. this before we started recording and you said that it couldn't be that game. But he didn't leave early. He thought about leaving early. So maybe he stayed and clocked, clocked overtime. Yeah, COVID marshals can't leave early if you think about it. Even if there was nobody at the ground, maybe he was in charge. Maybe he's, um, uh, you know, something to do with the health department. He was the one, you know, inserting those uh, little, uh, what do you call those things that look like... Uh, earbuds into the players noses just to you know uh, conduct covid tests uh, maybe he was one of those and he maybe he thought that everybody's tested uh, negative and i should leave early and then he saw glenn maxwell and alex carey put on that partnership and could be that it's possible. It's entirely possible. Um, maybe it's... Wasn't Tommy Lee Jones in a movie called US Marshals that was like almost a sequel to The Fugitive where he was hunting some criminal or something? Imagine the movie of COVID Marshals. <laughs> that would be an exciting film. Yeah, I'm surprised nobody has made a movie called COVID Marshal already considering uh, most COVID Marshals I've bumped into are these young kids at pubs who just, uh, I think, are COVID Marshals because I just looking at them, they look so happy. I always get a feeling that they get extra drinks at the end of the night, like, you know, when everybody, all the other patrons have left. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I mean, uh, Tommy Lee Jones as a COVID marshal would be pretty scary, though. Right. So 305, look, it could be that. Uh, I almost left early on this particular day. I'm very glad I didn't. I, I doubt that Tim Manning saw Frank Woolley make 305 in 1911. I feel that, like that's unlikely. I doubt he saw Frank Foster make 305 in 1914. I doubt that he saw William Ashdown make 305 in 1935. Maybe, though, maybe, let's entertain the possibility, maybe Tim Manning saw Pankaj Dermani batting for Jammu and Kashmir at the Punjab Agricultural University ground, Ludhiana, in 1999. Maybe he did. You know, um, Jeff, we're recording this in Lahore and uh, I just uh, popped uh, Lahore into Google Maps sometime back in Ludhiana is just around the corner. Though, I, in all possibility, if we do try to make it to Ludhiana, we might not make it alive because it's on the other side of the border. Uh, and It is very close. It is very close. And Tim Manning sounds like someone who is a Ranji Trophy addict. Who he sounds uh, like a lovely person, of course. He's, he sounds like someone who's traveled the world and he does sound like someone who might have made it to 1999 just to see Pankaj Darwani make 305. And the only reason for that is I, I don't think that was when he became a Pankaj Darmani fan. I think he became a Pankaj Darmani fan in 1994 when Pankaj Darmani got together with Bupinder Singh's junior, not senior, Bupinder Singh's senior actually played a couple of ODIs for India and was thrashed around in a tournament in Sharjah. Yeah, I mean, junior was always the more naturally talented, right? It's like Gary Ablett Sr. and Gary Ablett Jr. You're like, Rabinder Singh Jr., well, he, he was more a hard worker in the midfield. And Sr., well, look, he could do the unbelievable. Yeah, we were talking about uh, Gary Ablett Sr. This, uh, earlier this evening and I was told that he was built like a boxer. Neither Bupinder Singh Jr. nor Bupinder Singh Jr. Uh, Sr. were built like boxers. I did see both of them play cricket. Uh, if you put the two of them together, would they have made one boxer? Um, 
I don't know what kind of boxer you're talking about, but like, yeah, they 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 could have handled themselves in the ring as a tag team for sure, uh, and they weren't related at all. Uh, but Bupinder Singh Junior was more a batter who uh, uh, did score a lot of runs for Punjab. But anyway, one fateful evening when Tim Manning was watching the Ranji Trophy, um, I don't know whether he was watching it, uh, but he was following the scores. Uh, wherever he was following the scores, um, he would have really gotten excited. But they because they got together for the seventh wicket. I don't know who, which one of uh, Pankaj Darmani and Bupinder Singh Jr. was injured because they were both like middle order batters, but one of them must have come later down the order because, I don't know, maybe he had a hamstring tear or whatever. Uh, not a tear, whatever. A sprain. And they got together and put on 460 runs, which to date remains as the highest partnership uh, for the seventh wicket in first class history. And I remember reading about this in the Sports Star magazine. Maybe Tim Manning was a subscriber to the Sports Star magazine, uh, <laughs> which was published <laughs> by the Hindu newspaper. <laughs> and uh, he might, might have read about it. And it, it was all over, the, all over the news. It was big news. People thought... Both Pankaj Darmani and Bupinder Singh Jr. would have illustrious careers for India. Um, as it turned out, uh, Bupinder Singh Jr. never played for India. Pankaj Darmani played one ODI uh, in 1996 against uh, a mighty South Africa in Gwalior. Are you saying that in that ODI he did not score 450 runs in a partnership? I think he made one run and it was clean board. <laughs> he was clean board by Fanny de Villiers. Uh, uh, but he had a stellar first class career i think he retired sometime around 2009 he also did play one ipl game i think pankaj darmani played an ipl game yeah i mean he was one of those um, state veterans who punjab uh, kings 11 punjab as they were called back then thought wise to just include in their uh, playing if you remember 2008 the ipl uh, nobody knew how it, things were going to pan out so a lot of these senior players did get a go just because they were part of that state. And he played one match, uh, Pankaj Zawani, uh, always seemed like a nice fellow. Uh, but he, he's doing some coaching these days uh, in that Punjab region. I think he was a junior selector as well. Stylish batter. Uh, and people honestly felt that he would have a longer career. He started keeping wicket to, towards the end of his uh, or around that period in first class cricket where Tim Manning really did fall in love with Mankaj Darmani. I think it was the time when he became a keeper that our old mate Tim got into Pankaj and I think that's when he travelled to India to what's the name of the ground that he said? It was the Punjab Agricultural University ground in Ludhiana. Uh, and known for its greenery. Uh, uh, it's an agricultural institute anyway. Uh, and that's uh, yeah, when he must have travelled to see Pankaj Darmani make 305. Uh, by which time, I think the selectors had moved on from Punk, uh, you know, Pankaj. But uh, Ludhiana is a, yeah, is a uh, famous uh, cricketing centre. Uh, and yeah, so I think Tim is going... When he says 305, Jeff... I think he's talking Pankaj Zarmani here. <laughs> I, I hope so. Tim, if you're not talking about Pankaj Zarmani, let us know in the DMs or, uh, or, or in the old Discord <laughs> Nerd Pledge channel. Uh, we've got a double header next up. We've got Kieran, no last name, like Madonna. Yeah. Kieran, Cher, Madonna. And we've got Stuart Akers, five dollars and 13 cents 513 now 513 513 513 kieran and stewart 513 says one thing to me even before i 
think about looking up anything related to the number, it says that's what Australia made in the second innings of the Adelaide Test of 2006, which a chunk of our listeners come from England and they all contend that that Test match didn't happen. There was no Test match played. (laughs) In Adelaide in 2006. You are a resident of Adelaide, Paratsu. You may have a, a different view of this. And, uh, yeah, Adelaide 06, the uh, recently departed Shane Warne, four for bugger all in the fourth innings. Uh, but England made, what, 550-something and Australia followed up with 513. That was how the match was set up. You don't see a lot of 500s v 500s, and you see even fewer where you end up getting a result in the game. I have met a few of uh, the Bami Army fans, for, uh, you know, who attended that test match and don't remember anything about that test match. And uh, uh, I have a couple of those. Uh, people still living in Adelaide, uh, friends of mine. And uh, um, I think they spent more time just, um, you know, drinking uh, Cooper's Pale Ale, which is obviously what you do when you're in Adelaide. You know, the hospitality area around the Adelaide Oval, the Adelaide Oval is basically just a hospitality area. And a majority of people I've realized who do come to watch the cricket barely watch the cricket. And apart from watching... Paul Collingwood make his double hundred, if I'm not mistaken. I think the English fans don't remember anything else about that game at all. Uh, and most of their time during the game, after the game, was spent uh, either on Rundle Street or uh, on King William Road uh, or on Hindley Street, where uh, they indulged in uh, you know everything that Adelaide uh, has to offer post 8 p.m. Uh, but having said that, 513 uh, does get me. Uh, thing. I have a few options I'm going to throw out there, uh, which I think maybe, uh, you know, our listeners uh, might be hinting at. You said, you know, you spoke about your English following uh, for the final world and 513. Well, Les Taylor was test cap number 513. Uh, you know, the great Les Taylor went on uh, the rebel tour of South Africa under Graham Gooch in 1982. And... Um, you know, if you read about his history, you learn that going to the Rebel Tour was the best thing that happened to Les Taylor because that kind of brought him into uh, national selection reckoning. Uh, you know, a lot of players did get barred and banned because they went on the Rebel Tour. But his performances, his cricketing performances, he took a lot of wickets on that tour and he kind of stood out because of that. And then in 1985, during the Ashes, when um, England were looking for someone to just like move the ball around in home conditions and uh, Les Taylor had just come out of the the semi-ban that were laid upon players who went on that tour. Uh, He was just uh, the right man at the right place and he was picked uh, for a couple of test matches during that Ashes. He didn't do much of note, like he did take a couple of uh, uh, decent wickets, uh, maybe a Graham Yallop or, uh, you know, one of those guys. But One of those guys. (laughs) I have a lot of respect for Graham Yallop. He gave me a lot of time in 2014 when I went to interview him. Uh, he said, oh, I know I've talked about this on the show before, but he's, he is one of the worst people to watch bat. Like, you know, when you, when you have to look at footage, it's like, it's like Dom Sibley got transported back in time. Yeah, and, um, you know, um, I did feel really bad for Graham Yallop when I went to interview him because he was, uh, he called me to this camp that he was running for children, like, you know, young kids. And uh, 
there he was uh, with one of the other volunteers and uh, i remember early in the morning the volunteer was trying to introduce graham yalop and he kept saying like you know this guy standing next to me needs no introduction and one of the kids said uh, hey mate who is he and <laughs> and i felt really bad and then the guy started uh, trying to like you know pose these ashes style questions at the kids and you know where the answer was graham yalop but nobody got the answer eventually graham yalop had to say yeah my name is graham yalop and i and then they're like who is graham yalop pretty much uh, and that's how i started my story as well back then but without getting too deep into graham yalop story uh, less taylor like i said uh, five test cap number 513 uh, played a couple of those uh, test matches took a few wickets but uh, i guess you know it was one of those he, he was like the martin bicknell of that era i guess uh, uh, and he also played an odi in the caribbean he did uh, travel with the english side to the caribbean and uh, from what i read he bowled a very economical spell against desmond haynes in gordon greenwich seven overs uh, one for 17 maybe but uh, yeah that that was it but he was also known to be basically the nasim shah of that era uh, you know earlier today we were saying uh, on commentary that uh, you know nasim shah is a num- uh, he's someone who aims to be a number 11 in the next one day, <laughs> one day some day and les taylor was the same and i read the story where les taylor was playing for leicestershire his county um, and uh, in one g- uh, game i think against surrey when silvester clark was in the opposition uh, leicestershire were 20 runs away from avoiding the fall, uh, follow on and les taylor was about to go out to bat and silverster clark was just breathing fire and david gar the leicestershire captain said uh, you know what i'll just declare the innings i don't think this is worth it i don't want to put les taylor into harm's way and uh, leicestershire actually declared being 20 runs behind enforcing the follow on and i think the follow on was enforced by default so that says a lot about les taylor so i think 513 could mean les taylor but i have another nomination another nomination. another one another one 513 also uh, got me thinking about uh, keepers uh, wicket keepers and you know we love our wicket keepers and and i will say like les taylor sounds like just the name sounds like he should be a wicket keeper i don't know why it doesn't sound like a bowler maybe i'm thinking of les ames maybe maybe yeah i mean yeah i think uh, he les ames like is the most more popular les when it comes to uh, cricket uh, you know les ames and godfrey evans i guess are keepers that Uh, especially if you are into your sparkle you know what i'm talking about like you know every time uh, it's something to do with wicket keepers in england you put evans and uh, uh, ames and you know you'll at least have like two uh, 12 out of 20 sorted like yeah, when it comes to stumpings and catches and all that like yeah i, I had a friend who um, you know when he was a kid played trivial pursuit a lot with his family and he had a theory that anytime you don't know the answer to something in trivial pursuit guess Sammy Davis Jr. He's like you have there's a very good chance that the answer will be Sammy Davis Jr. Yeah, I mean uh, exactly and when you're talking about uh uh I, you know I'm not trying to stereotype uh, the western world but you just put Smith Jones Taylor you are very you have a very likely chance of getting a lot of uh you know blanks sorted out and on sparkle but uh, yeah I mean that's less Taylor but 513 I was thinking about wicket keepers uh, and uh, most number of runs scored without a bye being conceded and two matches 
stood out for me. One was, of course, Ridley Jacobs in 2002. Of course. Of course, you know, you think of Baez not being considered and you think Ridley Jacobs. Pastor, who, uh, he's become a pastor these days, uh, Ridley Jacobs. Uh, as in a priest? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Just for a second, I thought you said he's become a bastard. <laughs> No, I've, no, I've been. Uh, yeah, it's a politically correct show, yours. But like, yeah, I don't. Adam likes to swear, but I won't. But like, yeah, so uh, no, he became a pastor. Uh, he is a pastor, Ridley Jacobs, a lovely man. I guess the one of the few pastors to also be a national selector. I guess I don't know. Uh, Reverend David Shepherd was an umpire. He was, yeah. I mean, uh, 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 you, know, you had to properly appeal to Reverend David Shepherd when he was umpiring a game, is what I've heard. But that's why Nathan Lyon goes down on one knee. He learns you you have to genuflect. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Yeah, uh, and, and yeah. So, uh, really, Jacob, that game in Antigua, uh, famous. Uh, only because uh, all Indian uh, or uh, like you know every member of the playing eleven and the Indian team had a bowl, including Ajay Ratra, the wicketkeeper, who went on to score a century. Yeah. I think Ridley Jacobs made a century as well. It was one of those flat uh, St John's like pitches before the Sir Vivian Richards oval came into being, which is also equally flat. This was one of the. This was the game we talked about a few weeks ago on the show when we talked about Anil Kumble bowling with the broken jaw. Very much so, yeah, when Anil Kumle became... Uh, uh, so we used to have this uh, award back in India called the Red and, Red and White Bravery Award. Red and White, I think, is a kind of local alcohol brand. Red Stripe is a Jamaican beer as well. True, very much so. So Red Stripe and Red and White coming together. And uh, I remember an ad which said that, you know, that year's Red and White Bravery Award, which generally used to be given to people who would like save people or drowning or like, you know, <laughs> like not to make a joke of it or, uh, you know, people who, firefighters who would like, you know, walk into a burning building and save lives. Those are the people who would get the Red and White Bravery Award. But that when people saw Anil Kumle wrapped up like a mummy and like, you know, get Brian Lara out, people thought he should get the Red and White Bravery Award that year. He didn't, for obvious reasons. Like, he just got someone out. <laughs> he bowled leg spin. <laughs> yeah, which didn't turn either. So, he got Brian Lara out and that's uh, that was his great achievement. But, uh, yeah, and there were these amazing pictures of him in the, at the airport as well, you know, walking around. Like, we complain about, uh, you know, wearing a mask on a flight these days. There was Anil Kumle traveling all the way from Antigua to uh, Bangalore with like you know with a mummified head so competitive they're like if there's the the footage of him carrying brian lara out of a burning building they're like take him back in <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah pretty much yeah exactly and uh yeah so that that is the game yeah so i'm there you go see i listened to the final word and i knew I would get my opportunity to, you know, bring that game up. So I think uh, I wasn't listening alone, clearly. Uh, some of our wonderful listeners have also been, uh, uh, you know, grasping at it. But another game, and this is something we can relate with, considering we are, st- at least you're still in Pakistan for the next uh, uh, couple of hours or three hours, uh, came, uh, uh, came, again, similar result. 513 runs were scored. But no buys were conceded. And this is the great Ian Healy, who was the wicketkeeper uh, for this game. It was in 1998 when Australia last toured Pakistan and last won a test match in Pakistan. There you go. By an innings, if I'm not mistaken. So, uh, or was it Pakistan who won? I think I think Pakistan who won. Sorry. So. In, in 98, Australia won. 
Oh. Yeah, the first Australia won the first test and then oh, two yeah, draws. Yeah, so, uh, it wasn't the great Ian Healy. <laughs> Sorry, it was Moin Khan, of course. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> I just assumed because uh, I was talking Australia that it would be Ian Healy. It was Moin Khan, who ran his uh, whose academy in Karachi was not too far from the hotel we were staying at, the Moin Khan Academy, and whose son is now a T Twenty specialist, Azam Khan. So Moin Khan conceded uh, no buys when Australia made 513 and uh, won the game by by an innings. Uh, some great performances by the Australians uh, in that Test match. But yeah, it was Moin Khan who stood out. So maybe you know, uh, considering Australia are in Pakistan, uh, that's that's what you know our listeners are referring to when they talk about 513. It's possible. I can't rule it out. I cannot possibly rule it out uh look these are the sort of things we tackle on the show kieran stewart acres you can let us know uh give us a hint what you were thinking about with 513 hi i'm natalie jimonis and you listen to the final word with jeff lemon and adam collins our next pledge comes in from Bharat Sundaris. <laughs> now, look, I'm going to... Full transparency here. We have said on the show before that we do not change the order that the numbers come in. The only way you can get bumped up the list is if you have a double header like Kieran and Stuart did where you're lower on the list but someone higher on the list has the same number and you come through at the same time. There's now a second way. The other way you can jump the queue is if you co-host <laughs> the Final Word Story Time. That's the only way. Yeah, there you go. Uh, so uh, for all of you fellow patrons uh, who love the final word like I do, uh, your best chance of uh, you know getting your number bumped up is to convince Jeff or Adam to be able to co-host this show. Yeah, uh, I just happened to share a room with Jeff uh, or I have been sharing a room with Jeff for the last uh, two weeks. This is not the first time we are sharing a room and... Uh, uh, you know, we did have to have share a bed for one night uh, in a pretty dreadful room. It, it wasn't the fact that we were sharing a bed that was a problem. It was just the room. Uh, but uh, and yeah, but we ended up in a room which is uh, the fanciest hotel room that either Jeff or I have ever stayed in. Uh, to the extent that the di- distance between our beds is uh, pretty much the was the length and breadth of the house that I grew up in in Bombay. <laughs> so. That's how the big the, uh, big the rooms are. Uh, but yeah, uh, Bharat Sundaresan, nice guy, nice fella. Uh, so what's the number that he's uh, put out there? Okay, the number is $5.15, 515. Now, I I haven't actually asked you any questions about this, which which perhaps I should have in retrospect. But I'm thinking I, I, need, to, I need to show you the process that we go through. So I think 515 and I think... This has probably got to be bowling figures, right? It's probably got to be five for 15. At some point, somebody must have taken five for 15. And most likely in a test match because, you know, I, okay, I just got some eyebrows there. Maybe it's not a test match. (laughs) Shit. All right. Well, maybe I've, maybe I've, uh, as George W. Bush said, they misunderestimated me. Okay, all right, all right. We're looking at a few things going on here. I'm going to start with Test Cricket. We'll we'll move on, we'll move on. But, all right. Ed Giddens took five for 15 against Zimbabwe at Lords in 2000. I doubt it's that. Uh, Murray Litherin took five for 15 
against Bangladesh in Colombo in 07 in 7.3 overs. <laughs> Jesus Christ, that's just rude. Um, Vernon Philander in the Cape Town collapse in uh, 2011 when Australia went over there and got bowled out for 47. He took five for 15. That was on debut, wasn't it? Vernon Philander was his first test match. It was. Uh, and, uh, you know, I was talking to my good friend Prasanna Goram, who used to be the uh, performance analyst for the South African team for a long time. And he uh, always takes credit for having pushed for Vernon Philander when Gary Kirsten was still coach. And, um, yeah, he says that it was his call that Vernon Philander got the game. And, yeah, <laughs> uh, the first time I saw Vernon Philander was. Uh, in 2009, when uh, I was covering the Champions League in Hyderabad, a friend of mine took me to this uh, pretty cheesy pub in uh, a corner of uh, Hyderabad where I did not expect to find uh, some of the Cape Cobra players, which included Vernon Philander, uh, with some interesting company. Uh, I saw him and I never, ever thought he would turn out to be Vernon Philander, this world-beating test bowler, you know, new ball bowler in test cricket. Uh, but yeah, there you go. You never know, right? You can tell, never tell a book from its cover. I have a feeling though it might not be test cricket. I think we might be going to one-day cricket. I think, I think, all right, I think we might be going to 1991. <laughs> I think, I think we might be going to Perth. The 8th of December, the Benton and Hedges World Series. And I think, look, India make 208 for seven. They bowl out Australia for 101. How do they do that? Ravi Shastri <laughs> takes five for 15. He takes the last five Australian wickets to fall. Bang, 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 bang. Steve Waugh caught and bowled for five. Simon O'Donnell caught by Kapil Dev, star of the 1983 movie, for 10. Ian Healy stumped. For three, Peter Taylor out for six and Craig McDermott caught by Tendulkar for five. Five for 15 for Ravi Shastri. Would that be close to the mark? Hook, line and sinker. <laughs> you got me, Jeff Lemon. <laughs> uh, I, look, uh, I mean, you know, Ravi Shastri, great man. Uh, I have a lot of respect for him and uh, I love him. Uh, uh, you know, you know, I love my Ravi Shastri, uh, or you know, doing my Ravi Shastri anyway. And we've had many a chill ones on e like on each other. I need to explain this to an audience. This this was a Ravi Shastri line where he, where he walked past Parat in a press box, clicked his fingers and pointed to him and said, "Have a chill one on me, bro." It's actually even better. It was his answer to me in a press conference. <laughs> so <laughs> this is when uh, in, uh, I think it must have been 2015, uh, when there were all these conflict of interest stories floating around in Indian cricket, post the spot fixing saga. And, and uh, there were so many committees in place. And he did a press conference at the Press Club of Mumbai. And as you have learned, there are a lot of press clubs in this part of the world. And my boss had said, like, you know, it was supposed to be like a chilled out press conference. But my boss said, no, you have to ask him this question about conflict of interest and all that. So the other like, press conference starts, other people start asking questions. And I'm like, oh, God, I have to ask my serious question to him. So and I didn't know him that well at that point. So I just like put my hand up and I said, uh, hi, Ravi. Um, you know, there are all these allegations of conflict of interest going around about you and 
so what's your take on this and his answer was have a chill one on me i was like how do i use that as a code like i mean <laughs> that's all he said so i said well i'll start my copy with that so i did start my copy with have a chill one on me and ever since i have got to know ravi shastri really well but you are right fine 5 for 15 famous figures in perth but the reason i put that in was there is a story involved with it and Ravi loves talking about it. So apparently, what happened is this is basically before the 1992 World Cup. Of course, it's 30 years since Pakistan won the World Cup. Today, 30 years today. I mean, well, yesterday because it's past midnight. But uh, yeah, all of the celebrations were happening at the ground today. Vakar Yunus was there, feeling a little bit sad because he didn't play in that World Cup with his back injury. But you know, quite happy because it was a nice thing to remember. I mean, Imran Khan is now the Prime Minister of Pakistan. Things have moved on, and uh, Farhat has spent the entire week walking around doing a Bill Lorry impression of the uh, the last delivery of that, which you didn't get to do on the radio. So let's let's have you do it now. Yeah, it goes. It's up, up, up in the air. Man, getting around it. Ah, he's got him. Pakistan win the World Cup. Imran Khan, magnificent performance by this Pakistan team in front of seventy-seven thousand people who have filled in the MCG. <laughs> And my my favorite bit is I've never seen Bill Laurie stutter like you know he never stuttered and also uh, every time you see that replay one thing you realize is Bill Laurie wasn't always as excitable as he would become in later years especially in the late nineties I mean Pakistan have won a World Cup in Australia he doesn't sound too excited I think the most excited he sounds is when he talks about how seventy seven thousand people have filled up the MCG to be honest which you can't blame him either but. Anyway, five for fifteen, Ravi Shastri. So this, uh, so right, right before the nineteen ninety two World Cup, India had toured Australia, played five Test matches, and were also involved in a pretty tightly contested Benson and Edges series involving uh, India, Australia, and West Indies. So the story goes that India have a warm up game at the at the Wacker uh, before that Benson and Edges series uh, against Western Australia. and they go get bowled out very cheaply they get bowled out for like 80 or something like that and western australia chases it down in 20 overs so peter tuhi walks up to the indian team and as uh, ravi shastri loves to say i never heard of tuhi in australia except tuhi's bill so i was like who is peter tuhi and uh, he walks up to us and he says guys if you want we can roll the pitch again you know and you can have another game and we said nah we're all right we leave the ground so this has happened in the warm up game before the benson and hedges trophy and then india as it turns out go back to the wacker and this match happens where they beat australia in very few overs where ravi shastri takes five wickets and apparently as that match finishes ravi shastri is walking off the field and Peter Tuhi is sitting there because I think he was chairman of Wacker or something like that. Something with the Western Cricket Association walks up to Peter Tuhi and he says, "Mr. Tuhi, ask your Australians if they want to roll the pitch and have another warm-up game just because they have been rolled out in half a day." So that was Ravi Shastri's great comeback, you know, after taking five fifteen to a man who he had never heard of before, except. Having read the name Tuis on a can of beer. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
Uh, okay, well, that is 5.15 for Farhat Sundares, and thank you for <laughs> for being part of the show, whoever you are out there. Uh, let's, let's just look at one more number. It's a double header. It comes in from Shannon Blackmore and Keith Williams. The number is $1.92. So, look, we'll both have a pop at this one. One ninety-two. An obvious thing that jumps out at me for 192 Bharat is Kumar Sankakara. In Hobart, in 2000 and something, seven, eight, seven. And, and, and partly this comes to mind because it, it was being talked about a week ago in Karachi. Up until a week ago in Karachi, 192 that Kumar Sankakara made in Hobart was the highest score ever made by a captain of a team in the fourth innings of a test match. Barbara Azam went past that last week, made an 196, didn't quite get the 200. So no captains ever made a double hundred in the fourth innings. Only six players have ever made a double hundred in the fourth innings. But that was, well, it was a magnificent match in the end. Australia made 542 in the first innings, smashed Sri Lanka up for 246, declared having made 210 for two, set them 507. And then Sri Lanka kind of almost looked like they were going to chase it for a decent while. They made 410 in the fourth innings. Now, let's go from memory. I think there have only been seven scores of 400-plus in the fourth innings, thereabouts. Not many. Maybe 10. Not a lot. I mean, a handful. A handful of scores of 400-plus. And Kumar, who's batting at number three, He's going through the gears. He's out there on 192. I mean, wickets fall, you know, tick, 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 tick. And he ends up batting with some of the lower order. He's the second last player out. But at that point, they've got less than 100 to get and he's batting like a dream. And then old Rudy Kurtzen, the slow death, the click off the helmet from uh, Stuart Clark, gets caught first slip, I think. Rudy gives it out. No DRS in those days. And uh, and one of the great finishers is, is robbed. I mean, at least he could have got a double hundred and been the only captain to get a double hundred in the fourth innings. Didn't get the chance. Didn't get the chance. And, yeah, it was an interesting period in Australian uh, cricket as well. You know, this is right after McGrath and Shane, the late, great Shane Warne and Justin Langer and those guys that retired. And you know that that's that's a period where it doesn't get spoken about much. That two thousand seven, maybe two thousand eight. Uh, you know, maybe it also you know had a lot to do with the fact that there weren't there weren't any Ashes series played then, like which also had has a big impact in how Australian cricket history is narrated. And uh, yeah, I remember watching that match, and that was I think Lasit Malinga's uh, entrance into Test cricket. Uh, this is before he got the. Afro going. He had black hair. He looked like a very simple guy from the beach, uh, which he always was till the very till the very end of his career. And yeah, Kumar Sangakara, almost his coming of age innings. Um, he'd already started scoring runs, and I think we spoke about this on commentary the other day when Steve Smith became the fastest uh, man to, to eight thousand runs in Test cricket. Uh, and he went past Kumar Sangakara. I think that dream period for Sangakara started in that 2007 period. And for the next four or five years, he was unstoppable. Uh, and he got runs all around the world. But that that knock in particular, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, Sri Lanka could have come close. And like we saw today, 
you know, with DRS even, Mohamed Rizwan not opting for DRS when he should have. And if he didn't do it himself, Babar Azam should have asked him to opt for DRS when there was a howler. And, you know, which is basically tells you why DRS has come into place. I'm sure someone as shrewd as Kumar Sangakara would have opted for DRS and maybe we would be sitting here talking about one of the greatest run chases in the history of the game. And when you're talking about players entering that peak awesomeness period of their career, there's another 192 that comes up, which is Steve Smith at the SCG, was it? First first week of 2015. The 2014-15 series against India, four test matches. He makes 100 in all four test matches, which is crazy to begin with. But the 192, I mean, I remember this one because it towards the end of it, he's batting for declaration runs. He's been out there for so long. It's like, whatever, smash him around. I remember him playing this tennis shot, like a forehand smash through mid-off, then like a scoop shot over his head. And eventually he, he tries, to, he backs away and tries to flat bat one down the ground and bottom edges it into the stumps and he's out bowled for 192. You know, should have got a double hundred at that point, hadn't ever made a double century at that point. And the next year he was at LBW for 199 in the West Indies before he ended up making his first double at Lords a couple of months later. But the 192, it was, it was, it was an orgy of hitting towards the end. He made the hundred studiously. And then the last, I don't know, 60 or 70 runs were just pure do whatever the hell you want because you can. Like, you've got nothing to worry about. You've got Ishant Sharma putting it on a length. Just It's like T-ball. Just, just, just smack it wherever you feel like it. And one bowler he really went after in that innings was Bhubaneshwar Kumar, uh, who not many expected to play in Australia but they did pick him finally in that fourth test um, and by which time the series was over you know India had uh, lost the first two test matches uh, drawn in Melbourne when MS Dhoni uh, infamously just announced his retirement and this was the final test so th- this was the beginning of the Steve Smith Virat Kohli era if you think about it Steve Smith had been named captain at the Gabba and I remember his partner was there as well at a press conference and I found that pretty interesting like and I had never been to a press conference with uh, you know the subject's partner also standing right there next to uh, you know, where the journalists are uh, and Virat Kohli officially became captain of uh, India or test captain of India at that Sydney test or in that Sydney test even though he had led India in Adelaide that very famous and the most dramatic test match I've ever covered uh, you know right after Philip Hughes his passing so yeah there was a lot happening in that series and Bhuvneshwar Kumar poor Bhuvneshwar was being smashed around and the Channel 9 commentary team couldn't stop like mocking him one time I remember Mark Taylor saying very vividly that uh, Ian Healy doing Dennis Lilly impressions in the nets was quicker than Bhuvaneshwar Kumar in the middle and that was the way they described Bhuvanesh, poor Bhuvaneshwar Kumar and uh, Steve Smith was just unstoppable during that series MS Dhoni had this leg slip in there uh, and the ball never went to leg slip but he just was there I mean it was the easiest uh, payday in the you know in the history of cricket the whoever was at uh, invariably used to be Suresh Raina if I'm not mistaken uh, ball never went to him he was just standing there he could have even literally lit a cigarette and like you know <laughs> smoked it had a had 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 a drink and like us earlier tonight had a game of pool like you know because the ball was never coming in his direction it was just remarkable batting on some of the flattest pitches I've ever seen in Australia uh, where 
uh, if smith wasn't scoring a 100 virat kohli was scoring a 100 so if you were a you know uh, one of those batting romantics uh, it was it was the series for you and, and yeah i mean earlier in the series it made some runs a lot of runs uh, but they seemed much uh, harder to get than that that knock in of 192 and it was the making of steve smith in many ways that that series and the making of virat kohli yeah i mean well yeah 400s for both of them and the only thing that separated them really was so kohli made twin hundreds in adelaide and didn't make 100 in brisbane steve smith made 100 at all four venues in all four test matches and that was the sort of I mean that was just rude you know at that point this is that's when you realized that you were looking at a a different kind of talent I suppose uh even though you know the you know perhaps perhaps those days have passed the 192s Muhammad Yusuf also made two scores of 192 within about 3 months of each other so he would have been pretty annoyed about uh, not cracking the double hundreds there in his marvelous year 2006 was it when he made all the runs uh, yeah uh, somebody treasured in this part of the world where we are it's getting very late and i think it's time that we wrap up story time from lahore um it, it, we you know we thought let's just let's just have a chat about some stories and here we here we've been so i hope you've enjoyed the show uh, as different as it may have been to the usual uh, format <laughs> we've made it up as we've gone along it is the end of story time if you would like to be part of story time go to patreon.com/thefinalword and you can send us a number and we will talk about it on the show Adam will be back with me in about a week or so once I'm home and he's home and we've all settled and had some sleep and all of the rest of it and uh, thank you very much to Parat Sundaresan who's uh, staying on in Pakistan for the one day series and uh, has has agreed to spend some time with us before I disappear. Yeah, room number 3376 will never be the same uh, Jeffrey Lemon. I'm going to miss you a lot. Uh, and yeah, look, uh, I've been uh, a part of the final word before but I've never done story time. I don't know how people will receive the show but both you and I love telling stories even if they are as irrelevant as they have been maybe some of them tonight. But uh, you know, as a great man once told me, have a chill one on me. <laughs> This is been the final word. Story time. Uh we'll be back with me and Adam with the weekly show in the middle of the week where it usually is as we try to get things back to normal after this uh, tumultuous tour of Pakistan. This is it. Signing off from Lahore. Good night. I had to go.